Good morning. It's my privilege to be the first one to greet you from this pulpit in the year 2017. 
May it be a blessed year for all of us. The call to worship. Would you rise with me and read responsively? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. great to see you as we gather on this New Year's Day, and we uh, invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
there are a couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, one thing in your bulletin, uh, that the, uh, the number of shoeboxes we sent out is not 36, but more like 300. So I don't know how that happened, but we were, uh, how the uh, mistake was made. You know, sometimes those things happen. But I uh, just wanted to uh, make you aware of that, that uh, we, we were able to send out a lot of shoeboxes, and we're grateful for that. Also, I uh, did want to mention that uh, there were a couple of deaths this week. Uh, Bob Miller died uh, yesterday morning, and uh, his uh, arrangements are pending. As soon as we have know those, uh, we will have the information available at the church office. And also, uh, Bill Allen died earlier this week as well. And uh, his arrangements are uh, Friday. Uh, visitation will be here at the church from 2 to 4 and 7 to 9. And uh, visitation also on Saturday at 10. And then the service for Bill Allen will be here at the church at 11 o'clock uh, this coming Saturday. We want to keep both of these families and uh, those connected to them in our prayers as well as our support for them. We also have the opportunity this morning uh, to uh, dedicate our children to God. It is one of, the, one of the joys of being a church family, and so I'm going to ask the family to come now for us to do this. And she's ready. Eli and Linda, you, God has blessed you with this little one, and today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ, and in this public act of dedication, you're declaring your desire that you would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you are welcoming the prayers and the support of the church, and declaring your desire that she would learn early the things of God and that her life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of her life, that she might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education, that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? Reading scripture from Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. So, what's the name of this child? (laughs) Willow Hello. On behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, we dedicate you, Willow Aileen Knapp, unto God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As I like to mention when we uh, dedicate our children to God, this is a a, a threefold covenant that uh, we are entering into. I, I see it sort of as a triangle around this little one, and God is the base, and 
everything uh, that happens is because God is at work in her life, helping her, leading her, wooing her. He's already at work in her life. We know that God is always going to be faithful to her. And uh, Eli and Linda and their family have made a commitment today to do everything in their power to, uh, to be one side of that triangle surrounding her with grace and with uh, teaching and uh, helping her to know Christ and to follow Christ. But it's also our responsibility as the church. Uh, we, we are responsible to nurture the faith of our children and to do everything we can to help them know what it looks like to follow Jesus and to encourage faith. And so let me ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Willow and this family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Willow grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the gift of children. And specifically today, we thank you for Willow. Thank you for bringing her into this world, for blessing this family with her presence, for just who she is. We thank you for being at work in her life and for your faithfulness to her up to this point and forever. We pray, Father, that she will always know the depths of your love for her. As she gets older, may the understanding of who you are and of your love for her grow, and that she would always want to love you in return, and to follow you, and to live in your grace, and to know life in you. Pray, Father, for Eli and Linda as parents. Give them the wisdom that they need and the grace that they need to be the, the kind of parents that, that help Willow and their children know you and follow you. In this great privilege and this great responsibility, may they know your help, your presence, your strength every moment. And Father, we also pray for Ezra and Indigo as older brother and sister, that they too would know your grace in their lives and that their walk with you would be uh, an influence on their little sister. That their lives would be so committed to you that their little sister would want to follow in their footsteps. We pray, Father, your blessing upon this family. May they know your grace to them every moment. And Lord, help us as a church to be fully committed to nurturing the faith of our children, to being active, to pray for our children, to love our children, to care for them, And we pray especially that you would help us to be this kind of influence and witness to Willow. Give us the grace that we need to be your witnesses to this little one and to all of our little ones. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Testament reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, and we will be reading Psalm 90, verses 1 through 6, and verses 11 through 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, 
mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord, our God, Rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we continue in worship. So glad you came. 
All right, stay standing, please, for the benediction, or not the benediction. I'm not very good at this. This is my first time on the mic, I'm sorry. For the doxology. Sorry, pastors.
to spend a few moments in prayer together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. We think back over this past year, we see moment after moment after moment when your grace and mercy has been so evident. And we come today in faith, acknowledging and affirming That your grace has been at work even when we didn't see it. Because we know who you are. And we come today to declare that we trust you. Father, we thank you for this new year and all of the possibilities that are before us. And we recognize our need for you in each and every moment. We ask that you would give grace to us in each and every moment. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today. We think particularly of family and friends of Bob Miller and Bill Allen. We pray, Lord, that your grace would bring comfort and peace and hope in the midst of death and grief and loss. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health issues. We think particularly of Chuck Barrett, Wendy Ott's brother. We pray for Ken Stonemetz and Daryl Stevenson, for Carol Stonemetz and Ben King and Mildred Berry and Doris Esepian, for Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buecher and Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey and Phil Muecher and Mike Raybuck. For Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds today, we ask for your healing power to be at work in each one. We pray, Father, for our world. We think of, of the work of your kingdom around the world. We pray for the Trudels today as they work with uh, developing... Uh, Languages into print and helping people with literacy and, and bringing the, the scriptures. We pray, Father, that you would bless their efforts. And as they are working on a, a new translation project and bringing together people from many nations, that they would sense you helping, that you are at work, and that people would, would be able to understand your word in their own heart language. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution because of their faith in you. We think of the Christians in South Sudan facing great persecution and yet through your spirit and your power experiencing tremendous growth. 
Father, we pray that you will bring leaders to the forefront and that they will sense your presence and that there will be unity and courage and and comfort and encouragement and the ability to, to live out their lives and their faith in spite of the opposition and that they might be a witness for you to the people around them, to their persecutors and to us. Father, we pray for refugees throughout the world and ask that this coming year would be a time when, when the refugee population would decrease. That people would be able to return to their homes because war and violence and, and persecution is ending. Father, we pray for all who are recovering from recent disasters, from terrorist attacks. We ask, Father, that you would bring an end to the, the violence of our world through the peace of Jesus. We pray that you'd bring healing and unity in our nation. We pray, Father, for our church and and the churches around us throughout this county and beyond, that we would bear the light of Christ wherever we are and whatever we do. Father, as we look toward this new year, may it be a year of trusting you, And of serving you and being more and more in tune with you and open to you. And we pray, Father, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon us. That we might truly be light and salt. That we might be agents of healing and grace. That we might truly answer, be answers to our prayers as you work in us. Of your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and the one who gives us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament scripture reading this morning is from the first book of Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for children's church. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord.
Lord in the air. And so we will be with those with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the song of preparation.
Well, the benediction is coming a little later. Thank you, Dan, for that. I'm just so glad to see everybody so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning on the first day of the year. You all went to bed early, and, and uh, you're ready for a good long sermon. <laughs> Many times in recent weeks, I've heard, I can't wait, I can't wait. There's the usual anticipation of Christmas and our celebrations. But just recently, a former Houghton student of mine posted about expecting the arrival of her third child, saying, I can't wait to meet her. Maybe you can't wait for something this year, a new start, a new semester. I know some people can wait, but in the light of world events, human suffering and violence, I've also heard this and expressed it myself. I can't wait till Jesus comes. He's the only one that can straighten this world out. Now, there are two sides to waiting. It all depends what you're waiting for. Uh, there may be a dentist or two in the audience. I don't mean to offend them, but a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, I got a very bad toothache and, and an abscess, and so I had to go to a, uh, a surgeon and have a, what do they call it, a root canal. Now, in one sense, I couldn't wait to get rid of the solution, but how many of us in our right mind say, I can't wait to go to the dentist and have a root canal or have my tooth pulled? But there's something, as you know, the church has been waiting for for a couple thousand years, the return of Jesus. We've just rehearsed the wait for his first advent, Christmas, but waiting for his second advent is more than a choreographed ritual. It's where we live. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we are today. And it's in the context of our joys and our sorrows, our life, our triumphs, our hardships. We are in the wait. And it's the next big event in God's calendar. And it's a bit of that tension and uh, that anticipation and joy, and yet that apprehension that I want us to get today. So according to Scripture, in order for us to journey faithfully into this new year and beyond, we must affirm and live in the hopeful and useful tension of Christ's return. We can't wait, and we must wait. The goal of this message is to bring comfort and courage to us. And more than anything, to fall in love again with Jesus and to put him first. Now think with me for a few minutes about this tension. We can't wait. Concerning these negatives in our world, the world seems a bit of a mess. When will there be an end? And the list could be a long list, and you can name to slavery, to abuse, to poverty. Name the list. We can't wait. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. But then there are some positive reasons why we can't wait. We will be with him. We'll receive the fullness of our salvation. We'll be rejoining loved ones. Yes, there's hope. The hope of his coming to bring comfort. And for some of us, it can't come soon enough. Come, Lord Jesus. Recently, a friend of my daughter's on Christmas Eve, wrote, 
As I think back two Christmas Eves ago, when I left the hospital with empty arms, empty car, car seat, returning home to a completely ready yet empty nursery, I thought, could I never smile or claim joy again? I'm grateful this evening that my greatest reason for joy is not temporal, that my earthly circumstances cannot rob it from me. My joy came to the earth as another baby boy, one who paved the way for my sweet boy to rest safely in his care until I join him one day. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Between that first coming and that second coming, we need this hope. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child, dear and gentle, is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. We can't wait. But there's the desire to wait. From a negative standpoint, the second coming may bring back old fears of Jesus coming like a thief in the night. Do you remember that old Larry Norman song? I think Mike Walters remembers it. Would you like to sing it with me, Mike? Life was filled with guns. I'm not Pastor West, don't worry. <laughs> Life was filled with guns and war. I can't even read all the words or so. And all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. I mean, those are some reasons why I'd like it to wait. And it was very fearful for me as a child. Because that was pretty prevalent back then. This idea that he would come like a thief. Now, it's true that he's coming as a judge. And even in the Christmas hymns and some of the songs we sang, I know the choir sang an anthem about the Star of David coming up in Bethlehem, and right away he said that he will dash them to pieces. There's something about the scripture that's true. Christ was a little peaceful child, but he's also the coming judge. So there is to be some fear and anticipation of his coming. But there's also the, the uncertainty of the unknown. I mean, I go through this. Our inability to fathom the changes in the universe, in our world, in our very existence, it can create a little bit of, well, let's just wait for this a little while. Anxiety. But there are some positive feelings that accompany the Lord's delaying his return. We saw some just now. We have a life to live. We have children we want to see grow up and mature and accomplish their dreams. We want to accomplish our dreams. We have ambitions. And we wish to cooperate with God and see the kingdom spread in the hearts of our loved ones and solve some problems in our world. So we don't mind waiting for both positive and negative reasons. But let's go a little deeper and examine the scripture today. And I'm going to go get my water so you don't think I'll choke to death. All right? There's something about uh, standing in front of your family. You just dedicated their baby that makes you nervous. I've been looking at dozens of texts that establish the fact of Christ's return, the promise of his coming. And I'd begin with just Jesus' own words. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, 
Matthew 16. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne and we could go on and on and on with the words of Jesus. One of our favorites, of course, is the words, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be with me also where I am. John chapter 14. And of course, Luke records in Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Jesus. The angels say, This same Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. So we have the sure and certain words of Jesus himself and of scripture that Jesus is coming again. You ever stop to think what other people in the world think about us Christians? (laughs) What we actually believe? The fantastic events? No wonder some of us, some of them think we're crazy, right? So the promise of his coming, but also the purpose of his coming. The wonder of it all. We believe that history is going somewhere. God has a plan, and it's about Jesus and the people of this world. After the amazing incarnation, fantastic as it was, which we celebrate at Christmas, and here in Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what we heard, he talks about it, there comes the death to overcome sin, death of Christ. And then the resurrection of Christ, which overcomes death and promises life. And then the next event is the return of Christ, which overcomes the meaninglessness and Disasters of our world and fulfills God's great plan for our world. The return of Christ makes it right into the earliest message of the church. Peter in Acts chapter 3, the first big message after the coming of the Holy Spirit, says, Repent, turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. I've appreciated the series of Pastor West as we are in the first celebrating the first Advent season from the prophet Isaiah and many of the scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the day of the Lord and the anticipation of God doing just that, restoring everything as he promised. That's what the second Advent is all about. And in 1 John chapter 3, one of my favorite passages since I was a teenager. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. These are the purposes of the second coming, and we could go into all of Scripture and look at more of them. But I want to spend a little time with the particulars of his coming. This is the part that sometimes we get nervous about. But I was looking at the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which Steve read for us. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come, and it goes on to other details. Notice again that threefold declaration of his death, his resurrection, and his coming. It likely was an early creedal statement that Paul slipped into this passage. And then we learn more about Christ's second coming. I owe a simple summary of this passage to my favorite Bible teacher and preacher, Dr. John Stott of England, who's now 
with the Lord. I think besides my father, who was a pastor, and my pastors here at Houghton Church, I have not listened to any other preacher or read more books by a singular person than John Stott. hope that doesn't make me a heretic to some of you. But at multiple InterVarsity mission conferences from the 1960s until, well, I won't, probably 1990s. I, I went at least in 1990s, even up to 2000. But I heard Dr. Stott often expose the scripture. And then I had a privilege of hearing him in Africa. He came to our Bible college and gave lectures. And I had a privilege of taking a whole semester class from him on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm looking forward to Pastor West's series on the Sermon on the Mount, see if he agrees with John Stott. But anyway, he's a great man. I had a chance to walk through the woods and watch birds with him, and that makes him a good man for my son-in-law as well. So, so he gave this simple outline, and I'm just going to breeze through it. But look at your passage in Thessalonians. First of all, his coming is personal. Jesus himself, as it said in Acts, is coming back. It's visible. All will see it. He will come down, this same Jesus. We will see him. It's universal. It's a cosmic event. The dead in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. You know one place you may not want to be, but maybe you should be on the return of Christ is Mount Pleasant up here. Because when Christ returns, that place is going to be pretty active. I have four set, two, set, not four set, two sets of grandparents that are going to pop out, and uh, also my father and mother and so on. It's going to be glorious. And I had to pull up some Ortlip art. It goes with every sermon I preach here, doesn't it? What a contrast to his first coming, Christmas, in secret, quiet. Very low-key, humble. And we've just celebrated that. You know what we're looking forward to? What's coming? I know we have Super Bowl halftimes, and we have Christian rock concerts, and we have all kinds of events, coronations of kings, Olympic opening and closing ceremonies. I just don't think any of it compares with all the smoke and mirrors and fireworks. Nothing will compare to the second coming of Christ. It'll be glorious. So I hope you have your ticket for a front row seat. We sometimes, and I heard there was one, we, we have comets. And we all get out and look for the comet sometimes, or an eclipse of the moon or the sun. I hope you use the right shades for that. I don't know how to explain the second coming and how we'll all see it or whether CNN has to get in on the act, but somehow the whole world will know when he comes the second time. And then stock closes is that uh, it will be final. It'll be the closing chapter of history as we know it now. It will usher in eternity. Just a few thoughts about the particulars of the second coming. Friday night, my wife and I I guess it wore her out, so she couldn't be here today for this great day of dedication. But we, uh, we performed in the Messiah in Olean, New York, at the great Catholic cathedral there. Beautiful building. Small crowd. Friday night was pretty bad weather. But we were there, full orchestra, full choir. Can you imagine, if you ever look at the words, and it's all scripture, 
It tries to describe the second coming, and it's pretty glorious. And the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and the trumpet blows, and the big basso profundo sings it. But when it gets to the hallelujah chorus, king of kings, lord of lords, you know, wants to raise the roof even on a cathedral. If people only knew that's what's coming. It's a marvelous, marvelous event that's coming. Christ is going to return. How should we wait? And this is the crux. How should we prepare? The scriptures that I've been looking to at Titus and Thessalonians and Second Peter have all kind of thrown these things together, and I want to summarize them with a few other scriptures besides. That wonderful passage in Titus chapter 2, probably my second or third favorite scripture. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's us. So Christ's return ushers in the fulfillment of his plans for us and for the world. It is indeed a blessed hope. How are we to, to live then? Well, it's all about longing for and loving Jesus. And I hope it translates into courageous, contagious, hopeful, joyful, useful living. That's what the New Testament kind of pictures. Every passage about the second coming boils down to that. So here are a few things, and I put a few scriptures up here. I realize we're jumping around in scripture. You could add to this list. First of all, how do we prepare? We should long for and live for his return. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only for me, but for all who have longed for his appearing. Or in Corinthians, he says, You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I love the picture of Simeon and Anna at the beginning of the Gospels when they were waiting for the the King to come, the Messiah to come. Patiently waiting, serious. It's serious and high-priority business. It ought to be for us to be prepared for his second coming. Not an obsession and a hobby about the details. I gave you some of the practical things that are going to happen, but it's not about dates and times. Actually, Jesus said, I don't even know the time and date. So that's not what we should get worried about or upset about or excited about, but rather like a navigator on a ship or an airplane who sets the compass, sets the focus, and then goes to the destination. We keep our focus on his coming and keep on the journey. Long for his return. A second thing I think in preparing is to continue faithfully in worship and meeting together. I love in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Sounds like we're supposed to keep it up till he comes. Or in Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some 
are in the habit of doing. I think of a choir number we sing with Hidgley wrote for us, and we always want to point, as some are in the habit of doing, to the... Whoops, there goes the water. All right, okay. I get a little excited when I think of that. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's something we're supposed to continue. Almost keep up. It isn't a routine, but keep up the habit of worship. Next, I think we need to stay alert. What does that mean? Jesus said in Matthew 25 with some of the illustrations, Therefore, keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. Yes, we aren't supposed to know, and we're supposed to be alert and keep watch. In 1 Peter, he says, Peter says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert or clear-minded and self-controlled. Thinking of this alertness, I think it's just a matter of carrying on with the daily life, but having our compass set for his return. So what about having babies and dedicating babies, having families, doing our work? Seventy-five years ago, Pearl Harbor happened. You may have seen some of the documentaries on Pearl Harbor. I had an older brother who was born just about less than a month from that Pearl Harbor. And uh, my mother said to her mother, what an awful time to bring a child into the world. And her mother, Willow's great-great-grandmother, said, it's always been that way. Our world will always be full of tension and hardships. As we stay alert, we carry on. And I think of what's happened since World War II. I think of Houghton College and how it's flourished. I think of the hundreds of missionaries who've gone out from Houghton. Bible translators by the bucketfuls. Other workers, development workers, school teachers, doctors, nurses. Name what's happened since World War II when we thought the world was coming to an end. We have to stay alert, but we carry on with our work. May God bless Houghton. May God bless us as we model for people the life of waiting for his coming. Another one, and I'm just closing in on this, pursue discipleship and holy living. Live it. Model it for your children. Model it for students. Model it for co-workers. We're citizens of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So live the daily, faithful, normal life of discipleship. Grow closer to him. Make it your priority to be more like him. I thank God for the good example of some who've gone on to be with the Lord here at Houghton in my life. Some like Bill Allen. And what, a, what an example they are to us. That's what we need to do. And then we need to carry on the mission of Christ. The mission that he gave his church. It's very clear in the commissions in Matthew 24, 14 and in Matthew 28. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony. And then the end will come. So we're supposed to be faithful until he comes. Or in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
And I'll skip down to end. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank God for the scriptures. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit who's with us as we fulfill his mission. just want to grab this before we finish here. I was just talking with Ben Hegeman about some of the things he's seen recently in the, in the Muslim world. And they're under the radar on purpose. Missions and churches aren't publishing these headlines. But frankly, in Europe, hundreds, even thousands of Muslims are turning to Christ because the church is fulfilling its mission that God is waiting for. And the church in Europe is waking up from a sleep And our friends, the Austins, are heading that direction and will carry on for us that mission. This is the mission of the church. Praise God for the many who are coming and finding him in the Middle East and in Europe and even here close to home. I think of Bible translation. Our daughter Heidi and David have been serving in uh, Cameroon, and she had a chance to leave the, the base and go up to a small village in an area where the Lamso language celebrated the completion of the entire Bible translated into their language and the dancing and celebrating. This is all because God is not, Jesus hasn't come yet. God is waiting for the church to do its mission. Former Houghton valedictorian Jen Heisey Cordova in Mexico reports that uh, the Zapotecs in Mexico are receiving their very first copies of several of the New Testament books. Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, and James. And a little lady came up to her husband after all excited with a heartfelt, thank you for the scriptures. She was now holding in her hand. I think of our dream team, quote unquote, the Faith Promise Group, the Austins heading off to to Europe, the Karengals overseeing all our work in, in the Asian countries, the Rodrigos in Sri Lanka, a tough country to be in, the Strands in Buffalo doing urban uh, work with refugees and the diverse congregation or people there. And the Teeds in Haiti bringing agriculture and, and uh, medical help and so on in that situation. So Second Peter does talk about the scoffers who would come. Where is the promise of his coming? The answer Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what we should be doing in the meantime, carrying on the mission of the church. And lastly, I just want to say triumph through suffering and persecution. I think today of the persecuted church, this new day of the new year. They're not waiting for the rapture to deliver them from a tribulation. They're in the tribulation. As Corey Ten Boom said, God would have to apologize to a lot of people if he uh, said, uh, I'm going to rescue you. They're there in the fire. But they know he is coming. Peter says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We need to continue praying for the persecuted church and be willing to suffer gloriously and triumphantly for him. The hymn we sang during the offertory, Oh, to be worthy to walk with him 
and with them in white. When we were on our first term in Sierra Leone and West Africa as missionaries, um, we had some rough times, and we had a particular missionary family who were in Freetown, our business manager, who had to go through customs and clear things from customs, and people were always asking for a bribe, and then being in the capital, there was also the threat of burglaries and holdups, and uh, they were learning a new language, and it was just a rugged time for them. They were new missionaries, too, and I'll never forget Steve Ullum saying at one of our missionary retreats where we were trying to catch our breath and get back our feet on the ground. He said, I've never been more miserable, but I've never been more happy. Life has never been tougher, but it's never been better. When you're in God's will and you're waiting for his coming, that's the outlook we need to have on life. According to the scripture, in order for us to journey faithfully into the new year and beyond, we must affirm and live in the hopeful, useful tension of Christ's return. We can't wait, but we do wait with confidence, hope, and joy. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, and help us to understand more deeply, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, the importance of our walk with you and your love for us and the Holy Spirit's power in us to prepare us for your coming. Help us to be hopeful, joyful, useful people in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing our closing hymn, and it does, it is to a different tune than is written. Please stand. And so there's a little extra ending at the end of each verse. Join with me. Hymn number 190.
benediction from Paul to the Thessalonians. May the God, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Thank you.